Welcome to Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. This episode of Working Dog Radio is brought to you in part by the best training conference on the planet, HITS K9 Training and Conference, www.hitsk9.net, or call Jeff Barrett, 863-529-5113. We'll see you there. One of our other great sponsors, be sure to check them out, Ray Allen Manufacturing up in Colorado Springs, rayallen.com. Be sure to use the discount code WORKINGDOGRADIO for 10% off. Spell it out, get the discount. Everyone knows Ted and I are huge fans of Dogtra. Uh, we use all their products, lots of stuff. Dogtra.com, use the discount code WDR10 for 10% off a single item over $200. Yeah. One of our newest sponsors and one of our favorites, Kinetic Dog Food. KineticDogFood.com or call 512-279-8966. Get your dog on the right track. One of our other fantastic sponsors that are run by the Heiser, some of the best people in the industry. We love those guys. Uh, looking for a reputable canine kennel with dog sales and training services? They're located in sunny New Smyrna, Florida. Southern Coast Canine provides services worldwide from purchasing your next single or dual-purpose working dog to handler courses and seminars. Southern Coast is a great resource, so check them out. And where you can check them out is Southern Coast Canine. That's letter K, number 9.com, or give them a call, 877-903-DOGS. That's dogs. All right, everybody, Working Dog Radio, we are back broadcasting the bite. Another great episode coming your way. My uh, name is Eric Stambro, if you didn't know that. I am coming to you from Ohio. Um, with me, as always, is my co-host, Ted Summers from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Ted, what is going on? Man, um, we're rocking and rolling uh, at the kennel. Uh, Travis did uh, is doing this thing November 6th here at Torchlight. Uh, <laughs> we're calling it Barbecue and Bites. And it's basically a giant like 16-hour training day where we're just going to do hood rat stuff and go do bites and drugs and <coughs> like some explosives. And, uh, yeah, it's an entire training day. We're going to stop. We're going to do barbecue after the fact. So one of the handlers is going to do a giant uh, brisket for everybody. But a lot of people are coming down. So if you're close and it's November, I think it's November 6th or something. It's on the Torchlight Facebook page. Um, it's going to be good. Uh, Travis is putting a lot of work into it. Um, but yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting. I'm riding cleat hours for it. So if any Oklahoma handler is listening and you want to come, you will get cleat hours for it and it doesn't cost anything. So um, I know admins love free hours. Awesome. Yeah. Other than that, <clears throat> I had yep. four dogs, five dogs go home and they start school. Um, actually, while we're in um, Hammond, Louisiana for HRD next week. So uh they start school um i'll be gone the first three days of school but then i'll be here for the rest of it but um speaking of um hrd what do we got going on there well we um we have besides our normal stuff you know we're going to louisiana um in a couple weeks then in november actually right before your uh barbecue and bites we go to utah yeah. Uh, we come home i think it's uh two days before the day before that uh that event so you're gonna be busy um but we have, uh, besides our decoy camp, we just finished up a decoy camp in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. That Super uh, successful. seemed to go yeah. off really well. Our, yeah, our instructors did really good at that. Um, and then we will be going to uh, start offering a SWAT canine integration seminar. Yeah. We so have we, been we had, asked. I think it, a lot of people have asked, yeah. 
Yeah, we've been asked. Um, so while the guys were in Lancaster, we had um, their somebody in that chain ask about it. And I was like, well, you know, I mean, we've been asked several times to do it. And, and it's interesting because I've done it before. You've done it before. Um, you know, I've had those classes. You've had those classes. Uh, you were on SWAT for a number of years. Uh, Griff, one of our instructors, is on SWAT for a number of years. A lot of our handlers, a lot of my handlers are on SWAT. They're co-assigned. Um, and, you know, a lot of um, a lot of these handlers that come to HRD are assigned to SWAT as well, or some of them are full-time. Like, we had a couple down in Texas that were full-time SWAT guys. So I thought, yeah, you know, why don't we do it? But we're doing it a little differently than what's available um, par to form. So we've got some, uh, I think by the time this comes out, uh, we'll have the instructor list made. But um, I'll go ahead and introduce all of them except one. Uh, we have Michael Gooseby from LAPD. Um, everybody who listens to this probably, we've interviewed him just recently, I think three or four episodes ago, uh, has been in K-9 20-something years, LAPD for 20-something years. Um, his cousin is an active um, SWAT commander with one of the units, and LAPD will be helping. We also have Todd Thompson from Colorado, who is an HRD graduate, uh, is on SWAT as well from Colorado. And then uh, Brian Aponte from Cape Coral, Florida, um, as a SWAT handler down south, uh, really good guy. Also, um, an MWD handler. And then our last instructor, um, aside from your normal crew of me and Ray and Eric is an active, um, MPC handler in a, um, special operations unit in the military. Um, he is not done yet, but he will be done shortly. So by the time this comes out, I think that information will be out. So yeah, it should be interesting. So you'll have, um, a lot of people, from very diverse um, deployment standards to very diverse departments. So we get a nice round picture of best practices and um, kind of tailor-made to each unit that we go to, to kind of depending on what their TTP is and what they have access to equipment-wise and they don't have access to and that kind of stuff. Uh, it should be a very, very good um, deal. So three-day courses just like HRD. Uh, yeah, HRD Police K9, letter K number nine, hit it up. That's where all the information will be, hopefully by the time this comes out. So if not, it'll be there shortly. So yeah, I'm pretty stoked about it. What about you? Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for it. Um, it should be good. You know, most uh, departments that have dogs on SWAT don't really use them because they don't get it. Uh, there is a whole SWAT versus K9 weird mentality at times, but right. usually it's just it's just lack of of knowledge and. You know, the vast majority of SWAT guys are part-time SWAT. They, they're full-time on their shift or detectives or whatever it is. So the dogs don't get to integrate as, as well. Um, and basically, one of the big things we're going to be teaching people is how do you, as the dog handler, sell yourself and advocate for you and your dog and show your worth to the SWAT team? It's a big yeah. deal. Yeah. Um, Other than just sitting because on when you're like, That doesn't count. Right, <laughs> right. When... When you're there, um, you're not in charge, you know, like we usually are on a call. However, it'd be nice to be able to say, hey, man, don't forget, this dude here can find that dude in the basement without you sticking your head down there, that type of thing. So um, it's going to be good. I'm, I'm excited yeah. for it. We'll start putting that stuff on uh, hrdpolicek9.com. Um, yeah. So you ready to get rolling? Yeah. Who do we got tonight? So – uh, we wanted to do this this type of episode for a while. We've reached out to a lot of people. This is um, we wanted to do a search and rescue episode because the last couple that we've done have been super popular. Like people really like it. Um, 
We did uh, the Avalanche Dog. The episode is uh, titled Nope for a good reason because <laughs> Ted and I are not getting in the fucking snowbank. But, uh, <laughs> you know, and yeah. 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 So we've, we've, the two or three episodes we've done um, have been very well received. But we, and I always make a joke at all those, and it, it really is tongue in cheek. I, I ask those those people that don't work human remains dog, isn't it true that human remains handlers are just ghouls that keep thumbs in their freezer? Yes. Um, but they, ha- the, they have to know I'm just joking with it them. Is. They are uh, human remains SAR dogs. Are uh, those, those handlers are super insanely dedicated people. And we have one on with us tonight, um, or today I should say, is uh, Melissa Morgan from the Ohio Task Force One. How are you, Melissa? I'm doing great. Nice to be here with you. Yeah, we super appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah. Is it true? Do you have a bunch of thumbs in your freezer? <laughs> Placenta. Well, I tend that? to go with feet. <laughs> oh, God. Thumbs, feet? Oh, thumbs nice. get lost, so I keep feet, yeah. Oh. A lot of times I have feet. Yeah. I hate when I displace my thumbs. But anyways, uh. um, <laughs> so we had, um, I had some at the fun house, uh, the, the Van mm-hmm. S. Canine um, police and work dog facility i had um i don't know when was that a few weeks ago i had some uh, fema handlers come up and do some work there and the guy who had kind of coordinated everything i said hey in your group you know who who is there anybody that can talk about and and i get maybe not everything but talk about some of the the fines with a human remains dog and everything and he goes i have the exact person for you and this is how this all thing came about having melissa on here we tried this once and we were having computer difficulties so now here we are again re-recording so um typically like what we like to do melissa is go through uh your background and kind of what led us up to today oh okay um well i i started in search and rescue in 99 with a general purpose wilderness dog and i think like a lot of people i started with the dream of finding the little boy in the woods that was missing because that's you know that's that whole tug at your heartstrings and the reality of it is that most of the people i found unfortunately were deceased you know i've had the opportunity to have live finds but um you know through my career the cadaver dogs and the hrd dogs whichever term that is you want to use um have certainly been uh used much more frequently after several years, I actually got on with our sheriff's department as a uh, canine handler um, because of the fact that I knew I was using my cadaver dogs more frequently, and I wanted to have that, I guess, legitimacy when it came to law enforcement and the use of these dogs um, in criminal investigations. And then ultimately, I joined the Ohio Task Force One and had the opportunity to uh, um become the canine coordinator and there I work both a live fine uh, disaster dog and then my cadaver dogs. So kind of a me in a nutshell. I my day job is I'm faculty at the University of Kentucky. So uh, either do dogs or work at UK. Nice. So talk real quick for those who don't understand what Task Force One Ohio is and like who all that encompasses. Okay. Um, well, we just got back from uh, being deployed with Laura, and I will tell you that every time I go out the door, I have nothing but pride being a part of this organization. The Ohio Task Force One is one of the 28 FEMA teams 
that we have in the United States. Um, Ohio Task Force One is a little different than some of the teams because we're made up of a lot of independents. Uh, we can go out the door with 85 members, and those 85 members are self-sufficient for a couple weeks. And it includes everyone from, obviously, canine, but we have docs, we have engineers, and we have the most amazing rescue guys um, that can go out there with cranes and heavy equipment and get these people out of disasters if, if buildings fall down. Um, in Laura, we didn't have that responsibility. Our responsibility in Laura was to basically touched the we were uh, taken by a parish because when we deploy from the state of Ohio we become a possession of, of a local agency um, and there was a parish in in uh, Louisiana that needed help they didn't know how bad their problem was and in the course of four days we touched almost 26,000 homes and documented God, the damage dang. and touched base with yeah touch base with the people who live there documented gas leaks, um, who had generators, who needed help when there were animals in that were entrapped. And I mean, obviously I'm extremely proud of being a part of this organization. Um, and we're kind of a, a hodgepodge of, of people from everywhere. The canine program itself has handlers that are in Tennessee, West Virginia, Michigan, obviously I'm in Kentucky and at Ohio. Um, we have, folks in all the other disciplines that are primarily uh, Ohio and Kentucky um, down to like Lexington from our Lexington fire guys or with the Ohio task force one. And um, it's a uh, just a, you know, I'm really proud to be a part of it and it's provided me amazing opportunities to learn. And also it gives us the opportunity to give back and help people in need. That's, that's, that's crazy. Um, you, you guys definitely, I mean, it's definitely 000. a, Holy shit. That's a lot. right. It's definitely a service. You know, you have to be in the service. Um, and the whole, you know, job is definitely dangerous. It's not, um, it's not just, you know, going around with your dogs. There's so many crazy things that happen. We, we talked about, um, we'll get into the, 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 uh, cadaver dog in a minute, but talk about, mm -hmm. um, Working the live fine dog on a rubble pile, like, what is that like for those that don't understand it? The, the, the thing about the live fine dogs with the rubble pile is that we're really asking to do these dogs to do something completely unnatural. We're asking these dogs to go to places which, you know, their self-preservation instinct is, no, we don't walk there because we could fall or we don't, we, it's moving and I don't want to be there. And we select these dogs that are like, no, this is fun, you know, and this is what we do. And, and so in Dayton, Ohio, we have a training facility that has uh, three, well, actually four rubble piles. And those rubble piles are intentionally constructed um, to mimic like a, a, a pancake, pancake, excuse me, pancake parking garage. Um, we have underground tunnels. We have uh all kinds of voids that are there that these dogs would be dealing with when we're on a deployment um so these are it's a constructed reasonably safe if you call tripping around with rebar and all the other craziness is there and Shit. and you know 30 <laughs> foot drops and and all that kind of stuff and but like i said the the dogs go up there and the dogs that do this pro job well this is it's it's poetry to watch them run the rubble piles 
it's amazing the confidence they have. And we do a lot to train them, to help them to physically be capable and mentally to be capable of, of handling themselves and making good decisions, you know. And sometimes they do get hurt because they are 30 feet up in the air and they may misjudge a, a jump or a piece of rebar may catch them as they go by. Um, but the, the dogs that do this are almost fearless in what we ask them to do. Yeah, the Oklahoma Task Force One guys have um, a training facility here. Um, it's only about mm-hmm. 10 minutes from my kennel. It's the same thing. It's a giant concrete pile. They have what I think is about a million wooden pallets piled up to it, another one that looks just like a yep. fucking night. It looks like something fell. It looks like it's a nightmare. And um, I have a dog on a sheriff's department close to here um, that's kind of a dual purpose. He's single purpose narcotics, but he's also. Um, can do live finds and um what mm-hmm. you're saying is correct i mean he's a he's a little short hair pointer and environmentally the dog is solid but the first time we had him on the rubble pile man he was like what in the hell is and it was like we had gone back he went but once he was exposed to it he's fine uh it was but right. getting him exposed to it was a huge deal so and that's something you kind of touched on something that i want to um talk about um the selection process so you know there's a kind of a misnomer i think in law enforcement and i've heard it a couple times where you know, well, if this dog walks us out of narcotics work, we can, you know, we can just send them to the search and rescue guys. They don't really need that. And it's, or the, you know, it'll work for search and rescue. And the amount of time that these dogs hunt for and for sometimes no reward is insane, plus the health that they have to have. And so talk a little bit about the selection process and why it's probably even more stringent than we do for dual purpose um, police work. I think I think you touched upon one of the one of the the real keys to this when it comes to search and rescue is that generally we work our dogs for longer periods of time. Um, I mean, I don't, you know, when when I, we pull a dog out of the car and we're going to run a narcotic sniff, um, you know, he may be out of the car for two minutes and he goes back in. Um, so one of the things we really have to have is a dog that hunts, and hunting has to be paramount in their in their life skills it has to be the game that they want to play and they have to hunt for themselves not for just that reward obviously we have a reward system a paycheck system that we have with these dogs um you know they have to have something we can pay them with but really intrinsically they have to have an amazing amount of hunt the other part is nerve strength and and really i'll be honest with you a lot of times i'll get dogs to test and those dogs might be a little bit older because it's, I'm getting dogs and supplying them to our handlers on the task force. So it's not like we have, you know, two or three years to see where this dog's going to become. We want to start with something that they can get there in, in six to 12 months. Um, and I'll get these dogs. And one of the best things I do is take them to a rubble pile and just see how they acclimate. If a dog has never seen that, they're going to walk up there. They're going to be a little hesitant at first. They're going to think about it. But the amount of time it takes for them to go, oh, cool, this is fun, and start hopping over holes and doing things, that to me is, is I can't train that. Yes, I can train them to, clean, to climb a ladder or I can train them to, you know, stand on a wobbly surface. But when you put them in the middle of a rubble pile and they have to be able to make decisions, that's, almost, that's an intrinsic characteristic that these animals have. So those are the two big things that I look for, and I've had several – badass patrol dogs come to the rubble pile and say, oh, hell no. In fact, I had gotten some mm-hmm. patrol dogs 
that they had washed um, from up in northern Indiana. I had two dogs that, um, that they had washed, and they happened to be German Shepherds. Nice dogs. Um, I took them to the rubble pile, and I am not kidding you. It was the funniest thing. I got the one dog out, and, you know, he kind of hesitantly came up on the pile. He took, like, three steps on the pile, stopped, looked around, said, oh, hell no, turned around, and jumped back in the truck and created himself. I'm like, well, I'd say that's not, that's a negative, right? (laughs) So, um, you know, those are really the two things. If I start with a puppy puppy, I can make rubble more comfortable for them. But there's still, there's a gap. So a puppy puppy that takes a long time to be uncomfortable, to get comfortable on, you know, uneven footing and those sorts of things are still probably not going to be the dog that's going to be having a good time and running rubble like it's, you know, just running through a field of daisies. And that's what I really want with these dogs. Yeah, I would think um, it's funny that uh, that that agencies or, or trainer or whatever be like, this dog's washed. Let's uh, let's contact the search and rescue and see um, see if they would be interested in, in working the dog. Because the dog needs a job. we got to give him a job. He needs to work. And then um, uh, not realizing, not understanding the complexities of everything. I mean, the hell, some of those dogs wouldn't even go on a boat. And that's definitely, you know, part of what you end up doing and in, in the water finds and all that stuff. All that stuff is crazy intriguing to me. Um, mm-hmm. Talk about the dog's that you have worked leading up to the dog that you currently have? Oh, <laughs> we probably don't have enough time for that. I'll give you the <laughs> abbreviated version. Um, uh, Cause I am one of those nut jobs that I currently have 13 dogs in training and, or that are certified. So I'm always like having multiple, I like redundancy in my, in my world. And the fact that a lot of these dogs, I'll put some effort into them. I'll get some training into them. And then I can place them with handlers that can finish them and we can continue with them. But um, I started out with the German Shepherd and my first three working dogs were German Shepherds. The first one that I tried to do FEMA with was a female German Shepherd, um, had all the agility in the world and all of the environmental soundness of the world. Um, But when I first got into FEMA, uh, I guess just like anybody who gets into anything the first time you do what the experts tell you to do and you read the books and you try to follow that recipe to make a live fine FEMA dog. And, and uh, she was pretty adamant that this wasn't the game for her. So I wound up washing her and, um, and I got a Labrador. So my first certified FEMA dog was a live fine Labrador who was an absolute rock star and ultimately certified with two other people and certified with myself three times. Um, she was an amazing dog. Uh, I had to learn how to speak Labrador because I had always grown up with, mm. with the pointy ears. Um, but she taught me a tremendous amount. And some of the things she taught me was, and that's what FEMA has done for me personally, is it has made me a much better dog handler and trainer. And that's because um, the, the, the challenges of the environment and what we expect these dogs to do for us uh, are far exceeding what my wilderness dog was, was expected to do. And so she made me a great handler. Um, well, I don't know if I'm great, but I'm a better handler. 
And then I went back to my pointies and had a Dutch Shepherd named Zena, who was my live fine dog for um, for four years until I lost her. And um, and then I have a German Shepherd who's my FEMA uh, cadaver dog at the moment. He's a certified cadaver dog at the moment. He's certified with the first round of cadaver dogs because FEMA um, kind of drugged themselves kicking and screaming into the cadaver dog world because FEMA is all about saving lives and property. But there was a real need for these uh, uh, human mange recovery dogs. So uh, we haven't had this um, lane for a long period of time with the FEMA dogs. So that's Murphy. And he is has certified himself. Let's see, three, six, um, twice, and he is eight years old, I believe, eight and a half. Um, his little sister, or I like to say the next generation of FEMA life, or FEMA cadaver dogs is a little Malinois, uh, and she would be certified at this point, but COVID really screwed up the year as far as getting dogs finished. Um, and then my current live fine FEMA dog is another Dutch Shepherd named Chapel. And, um, so I was sticking with the pointy ears, and um, I have a, another live fine in the making, um, and she's also a Dutch. So I've kind of gone to the Dutch Malinois world, uh, and I did that partially because the athleticism is just unreal, some of those things those dogs can do. But I have to admit, my heart breed is the German Shepherd. And, you know, I got very lucky with to find one that was actually pretty darn good on rubble himself. I, I think I was told that you like all black shepherds. Is that right? <laughs> well, yeah, you don't have that to was wash not them. the, <laughs> yeah, you, <laughs> exactly. You don't have to clean them. <laughs> exactly. It's the awesome really car. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I do have, so uh, I have my, um, so my FEMA cadaver, uh, dog is a black shepherd and then I actually have with the sheriff's department my trailing dog is a black shepherd and it wasn't intentional it just seems to be kind of where I wound up you know I've gone I've gone to the black shepherds and the dark dark duchies so yeah I guess I've kind of gone down the dark path for now nice yeah uh when I was there I had a dog a black dog in my truck that we were washing out and uh the guys are like, hey, don't let uh, Melissa see that. She'll probably, it'll vanish out of your truck. I'm like, wait, 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 hold on. Let me get out of here real quick. Where's my keys? Um, well, the so back up is, to where the comment you made. We talk. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. The, uh, uh, back up to the comment about 13 dogs. So you're a crazy person is what you're saying. Yes. Yes, I am. Oh, good, good. I am. It's still better than having 13 cats. All day. That 13 dogs is still less crazy than having 13 cats. Well, I'm sure there's people who would argue with me, but I do have to say that some of the, the so one of the, one of the dogs is my, actually my husband's patrol narcotics dog. Um, Cause he's a, he's a, been a canine handler. He uh, retired like after 25 years and one as a canine handler and then came to a different department and he's one again. So uh, that, I guess I only have 12. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, so you guys, so you run more than one dog, right? Yes. Yeah. So we have a hand, I have a good friend of mine. That's a handler. One of my handlers, uh, one of Torchlight's guys, he, we didn't train him, but we, he buys dogs from us all the time up in the St. Louis area and he runs two dogs too. And you know, whenever I do a patrol school, I'm like, we're getting ready to have one. I have an experienced handler coming to school, but then I've got four newbies. Um, mm-hmm. 
And they're all worried. Oklahoma has a mandatory state certification for detection. And like, they're all worried about passing. And of course it's super easy. And you know, we, there's a big deal going on in law enforcement right now because of, um, uh, a case that happened, uh, the Jordan, the Jordan decision up in, um, Utah, which is just a, it's not even a appellate level decision. It's a district. So it's kind of like, who cares, but it brings up an interesting, um, it brings up a couple of interesting points. One that's kind of relevant to this conversation is the certification standards. Everybody like really, like in law enforcement side is like, oh, certification this, certification that, and people go back and forth about which one's better. And for the most part, with the exception of a few here and there, like they're all pretty close to one another, right? Um, after that yeah. giant decision in 2013, the Harris decision, like it's been a big deal. Like you have to get certified and everybody sweats it. And, you know, part of the whole mission of HRD is kind of explaining to people that what you're certified to do, what you're asked to do as a canine handler of handling a dual purpose dog is not really like they don't really jive together. On the other hand, the FEMA certification is absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> so <laughs> talk about my handlers listen to this. <laughs> yes. I don't ever want to fucking hear you cry about certification again after you listen to this. You'll be like, shit, I am never handling a live find or a or a cadaver dog like ever so and you before we started recording you told me that yeah. you guys like so you have the fema and then you also require your guys um to have a law enforcement certification also so dual certification for which i'm sure you're going to tell me why but talk a little bit about the yeah. fema certification and the law enforcement side too okay well so fema's yeah the certification is ridiculous the upside is that you only have to do it every three years um but it's it's uh, actually two big pieces. One is called the Fundamental Skills Assessment. The FSA is the slang for it. And that includes um, obedience, uh, a five-minute downstay with a handler out of sight, which you just want to put a bullet in my head because none of my dogs want to do that. Um, it includes mm. directionals where we set up basically a baseball field and you're given a pattern and you have to be able to put the dogs on those, on those um, they're, they're raised up little little bases that are out there it includes agility which which is climbing a ladder going over um, rubble going through tunnels and those sorts of things i mean nothing you know outstanding but uh it's putting it all together you have to do all these different um, stages to it uh an indication box which is just the dog has to be able to select the right barrel and stay at it for 30 seconds barking continuously because that's their indication. All the FEMA dogs have to have uh, now uh, has to have a uh, bark indication. Um, and then once you get through all the obedience and the agility and the directionals and all that craziness, then you have a rubble search, which um, we know going into this search that there are two victims, but you only get 15 minutes and you have a rubble pile and you have to be able to send your dog up. Initially, the dog is sent up without the handler and the dog has to indicate independently at the victim without the handler in sight. And then the second uh, victim that's in the pile can be within sight of the handler and you can walk with your dog on that. So that's the FSA. It challenges you because you have to have all this control to get through all the obedience. And then you have to demonstrate your dog will go up on a pile and hunt. So once you've passed that, then you go to what is the certification examination, the CE. And that is consists of two different rubble piles. You get 20 minutes on each of them. And you have between zero and six total victims. Now, there's never zero. But 
one in six total victims. You don't know how many victims are on either pile, and you only have 20 minutes, so you have to clear your pile, decide whether or not you've cleared your pile, and then you also have to be able to um, uh, articulate that you're done. And then one of those piles is just like the beginning of the FSA where the dog has to go out of sight and do the indications independently of you out of sight. And that's a big deal because a lot of dogs want to do that refined. If you're not coming, you know, they, they're, they're pulled back to their handlers or I like to refer to them as pocket mm-hmm. puppies because um, especially our pointy-ear dogs that are genetically bred to stay kind of closer to their handler, you got to push them away. And that's one of the reasons that the Labradors are one of the predominant breeds because you can get a field trial lab that genetically is programmed to work at a distance from its person, and that works to your advantage in rubble. So that's the um, basically the test that we have. Uh, the HRD test is now that equivalent. It was uh, a little less rigid, but uh, both tests now consist of the two phases um, for certification to be able to go out the door. Now, you only have to do it once every three years. Uh, as you mentioned, with our HRD handlers, um, and it's probably because I'm an HRD geek, and this is like one of my passions, uh, I do not feel that that HRD certification that we get for FEMA is appropriate for a lot of the things that we do um, for law enforcement or for outside the disaster world, I'll put it that way. So I require our handlers to have a law enforcement certification with a boat certification, a boat water certification, um, because I think that completes the circle for HRD. And then uh, then our handlers are going to be good resources. These dogs, we don't just use them for FEMA, because if we did that, we'd have a lot of wonderful dogs that never get used in the real world because we don't go out the door. In fact, my two live find dogs that I had originally, my first two live find dogs retired from their career and never went out the door as a FEMA dog. So it's such a waste to have these magnificent resources that, that are not being used on a more regular basis. So with our cadaver dogs, our dogs need to be able to do the law enforcement venues. They need to be able to do cars, buried buildings, and they also need to have significant water experience um, where they can do shoreline and the boat. So I do require two um, certifications for our dogs to be HRD dogs with the task force. Yeah, that's awesome. Our 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 test in Ohio is pretty easy, and we got guys yeah. sweating the shit out of it. <laughs> oh yeah, ours in Oklahoma is super easy too, and. You know, and Alicia and I were actually involved. Um, the, our friends from St. Louis, one of the handlers, came down to uh, help with a, um, I don't know, about four years ago, three or four years ago now on New Year's Eve. Um, that country singer um, went out duck hunting and drowned um, at a lake here in mm-hmm. Oklahoma. And mm-hmm. uh, Highway Patrol was, like, not, they were looking for him, and they had the boat unit out and the helicopter and, um, and the handlers from St. Louis came down and we were out helping on the boat and it's cool to watch those boat dogs work. And it was interesting because the trooper was driving the boat and he was like, there's no fucking way this dog can smell anybody in water. I'm like, bro, I'm telling you they can. And so, you know, we're on the boat for like 15 hours and it's, you know, eight degrees outside and, you know, mm-hmm. the dog's up at the front of the boat and he's getting like ice stuck on his ears. And I mean, it's it's cold as shit and the dog is continuing to hunt. So like the entire time we're telling him, you know, this is how we do it. And 
Uh, the handler was describing how, um, you know, they do it and they, you know, make the placenta slurry and bury it and the, or you know, they drop it in the water with the weight on it. And he was like, that's disgusting. It's really cool. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, they can definitely find dead odor in water. And it was super cool to watch uh, the dog that uh, one of the dogs work. But yeah, I mean, yeah. E, what were you going to say? Yeah, so uh, we, we talked before we started recording about how um, a, there's a lot of uh, uh, search and rescue dogs attached to law enforcement agencies on the West Coast. Um, do you know mm-hmm. of any over this side of the country that that are cops handling live find dogs or anything like that? Um, there are there there are pockets. Um, so I'm a I'm a uh, I'm with American Police Canine and I do certifications. Um, and I know that I'm see, I see a lot of more dogs that are more the trailing type search and rescue dogs that are, you know, we've got the bloodhound that's not necessarily going to bite and take you down, but we can lo- find the lost child, those sorts of things. So we do see a lot of that type of search and rescue dogs. And um, I don't know of anybody who's doing uh, the disaster piece, except I think... Um, there's, you know, some of the military pieces, they're doing some search and rescue dogs. Uh, there's one, I think, in Louisville, Kentucky that um, is, has been training to do like a disaster response. I think it's with the guard. Um, but there's usually they don't do the, the disaster side of it. They'll do more of the lost person um, type of it. And then there are a few that actually handle cadaver dogs. Uh, unfortunately, you know, a cadaver dog, a narcotics dog pays for itself. You know, it goes out, you pull over a car, you get money, you get dope, you get whatever. There was money associated with that, with that work. And so in most law enforcement agencies, uh, you know, it's nice to have a narcotics dog. It's kind of a, a revenue maker. That sounds bad, but they, they do pay for themselves. Uh, unfortunately, cadaver dogs don't usually pay for themselves. So the majority of them are handled um, by civilians, uh, except for like certain pockets, you know, um, Andy Redmond, uh, was with Connecticut State Police, if I'm not mistaken, and I believe that he started the cadaver program there, but I'm not sure if they still have it. I know the Kentucky State Police had cadaver dogs for a few years, but they just came to the realization that it just didn't pay for itself. So it's expense that they um, that they don't get any monetary back on. Yeah. Uh, my time at the um, Canton Police Department, my whole career there, um, Obviously, when I wasn't a detective, you know, just working the shift, I didn't know everything that was going on. But we, we called out a uh, cadaver dog in the t- 23 years I was there, I, probably maybe five times. Um, I'm sure mm-hmm. they've done it more. So it definitely wouldn't be something they would keep on hand at our place. Um, before we break, I do have one question, though. So lots and lots of our listeners know that there is a tombstone in the basement or grave marker oh. in the basement of the fun house. <laughs> I've seen it. And yes. it's the most, it's the best part of the building. So can you tell me, is the woman buried in the basement? So I'm going to qualify this because uh, we only <laughs> had uncertified dogs there. Um, and, and I don't, you guys haven't heard this story. It was actually really funny. Um, but we have, we had some young dogs and of course that's something. And I was like, darn it, I didn't bring my dogs with me, but, um, we ran a dog in the basement and there was a lot of body language. You know, the dog was given all kinds of body language in the basement's kind of a scary, weird little place. 
So you kind just of? wait a minute and let them acclimate. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> kind of a weird, scary stuff. place. Right. So the crazy thing was the dog went to one of the walls and gave an indication up the wall. And it's where the piping is to the right if you're standing at the bottom of the steps. So I'm like, oh, that's nice. So um, we messed around a little bit, went upstairs. Your, your lobby area, not lobby, but you're like your sitting area. Do you know where the box mm-hmm. is that's got all your bite suits in it? No. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm yeah. talking about? That's leaning oh, against yeah. that wall, against wall next to that vent. Yeah. And there's a, there's a grate there. That's where the dog indicated. <laughs> your, your bites you smell like dead bodies you just made alicia's day because she's always that could be. I, I, I have no lie alicia handles I, so for those listening alicia has a dutchy um static and he is a he's never certified but he was trained on human remains and he will alert on same thing like bite suits and she makes a joke she's like oh your bite suits and like me and travis and like she's like you guys bite suits smell so bad that human remains dogs alert on it i'm like fuck you whatever and She's right. So <laughs> she is right. She is right. So and, apparently I mean, the dog can find sense. ghosts of bites past. I don't know. <laughs> well, and you know who's, you know, the massive amount of sweat that's there. Now you, you have to remember that the odor of decomp really is everywhere in the dog's world. You know, we are like you're probably old enough to remember the cartoon character Linus or Pigpen rather, Pigpen right. from uh, oh, yeah. Snoopy. We are a Pigpen and Snoopy. We are always dropping mm-hmm. um, dead skin scales, you know. And so where if that's the only thing the dog has, that's the only uh, cadaver odor that they can come up with, and they do want to find what they're supposed to get rewarded for, um, then they're going to they're gonna drop that threshold and say, we're going to take this because it's as close as it gets. And so I don't think you have a real body in the basement. Um, I think that we did have that, that uh, odor source. And that dog recognized it. And not all the dogs did, but we did have one dog recognize it and give us an indication. Um, it also tells me that we probably need to proof that dog off of sweat. But, <laughs> but you know, it's a dog in training. Yeah. You figure these things out, right? But, uh, uh, yeah, I, it's, I don't think they're completely wrong. It's like, um, you know, I don't want my dogs to indicate on, on uh, straight-line pipes and feces, I don't want them to tell me about that. If I'm working a drowning and I know there's straight line pipes, hey, I'm from Kentucky. We got them. Um, but mm. I also cannot completely proof them off of that because most of feces is human dead skins, dead scales. So they're not wrong. But so I try to teach them during their training process that, yeah, you know, I don't mind you getting up and giving me a head snap, but don't give me that bark, you know. Because I don't want you to tell me that's that's what I'm looking for when I'm looking for a body. Yeah. Excellent. Well, uh, we're going to take a break for a second. Um, when we come back, uh, we'll pick up where we left off. So everybody chill out. Don't fast forward through the commercials. I know I keep saying that, but don't. So, uh, yeah, we'll be back in just a second. And Ray Allen Canine Manufacturing. It's no secret that we love Ray Allen Canine Equipment. We use their products every single day. Their mission statement says it all to be a world leader in quality and innovation of professional canine equipment for police, military, Schutzen and ring sport to exceed our customers' expectations and delivery on time, every time at a fair price. We full-heartedly believe they've held true to that since it is our go-to one-stop shop for everything dog. 
One of the longtime sponsors of Working Dog Radio from the beginning has been Highland Canine in North Carolina. Tactical Police Canine, a.k.a. Highland Canine in North Carolina, offers training, seminars, and consulting globally for police, military, and non-government agencies. They provide customized training programs to address specific problems and meet the needs of your organization. Check out their wide array of handler courses, instructor courses, supervisor courses, and online courses at Tactical Police caninetraining.com uh, Jason and Aaron Ferguson are two of our most favorite people and they have been with us since the beginning so hit them up we get it fueling a working dog can be tough but they need that high quality food to give them the energy and nutrients that they require for the work we ask them to do kinetic dog food has a great balance of healthy meats and grains and is made specifically for working and sporting dogs they have a full line of foods and supplements available and they've been working to perfect their line with thousands of dogs and hundreds of departments across the U.S. And you can buy it locally, online, or at Tractor Supply. Okay. Another one of our favorite partnerships is with the one and only Dogtra. These guys are producing some amazing tools in the dog training world. Everything from e-collars, GPS tracking, ball training, bark collars. If it's electronic, Dogtra is the best. They are truly revolutionizing the way you communicate with your dog. Plus, they give us a great discount code. Go to dogtra.com. Everybody hears me say all the time, you can't teach dogs to bite people and act shocked when they do. Inevitably, I get bit. You've all heard me talk about how I get tagged and being tagged by a dog sucks. So I've used quick term <laughs> to help myself, uh, but before... I had to go to the doctor's office. Uh, it, it definitely helped keep down infection and everything else. And I've had some uh, non-scarring because of it too, so it's pretty good. But it's no exaggeration. The stuff is great. Once daily treatment for any skin condition on small wounds to help stop little issues from becoming big ones that your admins are sure to love. It comes in a spray. It comes in an ointment. It comes in a dressing. Quick Term is great at creating protective barrier and promoting wound healing. There's no reason not to have a bottle of this in the patrol car or your kennel or your first aid cabinet. Plus, it's... it's uh, temperature stable so you can keep it in the patrol car when it's cold when it's hot whenever and it'll still be good make sure you hit them up at vetcare.us and use the discount code 10wdr for a discount on your first purchase which is going to be 10 percent. all right we are back uh working dog radio broadcasting the bite so we're going to pick up right where we left off so we talked about the um certifications we talked about the dog's process and everything else. Now, I want to hear some stories for sure. Like, um, you know, before we started recording, I talked to you a little bit about um, we've wanted to have some people on. And I'm used to, like, the military guys being like, I can't really talk about this, can't talk about that. Law enforcement, too. We've had agencies straight up say, no, you can't. You, no, we're not going to let you interview. And we're like, well, shit. Okay. So, and then, but ironically enough, we've reached out to a lot of search and rescue people and like, it's been difficult to find somebody that's able to talk about, um, especially the cadaver side, because a lot of it involves a criminal investigation that's ongoing. And, um, so, you know, that's which you mentioned before the break about having a certification for law enforcement because you're handling evidence and because it's part of the whole evidence chain process and everything else. So, um, that being said, well, let's do some stories. So let's start out with, um, yeah, pick one. <laughs> <laughs> pick one. Um, so, so you're correct. I mean, if something's ongoing, I can't talk about it. But some of the ones that that from the past, one of 
one of the first things when I was very early on in doing cadaver dogs and, and I had some amazing mentors. That's what it's about is finding people who are willing to, um, help you and let help you learn and, and to work with them. But we got called by a family who said, Hey, we know we have this, uh, civil war soldier buried on the property because the family's talked about it for generations. And our two old aunts took these, um, Southern soldier in and he was injured and they tried to, uh, you know, help him, and he died, and then they panicked, and they emergency, they buried him somewhere because they didn't want, you know, either the North or the South to know that they he had been there. And so these people had figured out who this guy was. They had a name and everything, and the military actually had a headstone that they were going to give him to mark his grave, except they didn't know where the grave was. So on a Sunday, they call me and they say, hey, can you come and see if you can find this body? And I'm like, I have no idea. He was buried in 1862. You know, what really? 1862? Um, what year did so they ask this, you? <laughs> so it probably was like 2002, 2003. And he was buried in 1862. Yeah. Holy cow. So, so my philosophy is always to be absolutely straight up with people and say, I have no clue. Now, that doesn't mean I won't try, but I have no clue. So, 140 years. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, and then, of course, it was an emergency because the following Saturday, they were going to have the headstone. They were going to put it in the family cemetery because they didn't know where his grave was. And they had his family, like like people from his side of the family. I think he was from North Carolina or South Carolina. I won't swear to you. But anyway, they were coming in that Saturday, and they were just going to put this headstone. But they thought, hey, we'll take a shot to see if we can find this grave. So I go out with uh, one of my mentors who, who – uh, had been doing cadaver dogs for a while and we cut these dogs loose. I cut my dog loose and, and he was young at the time and full of spit and vinegar. And he's just like running, running, running in this like wooded area that they kind of thought was the right area because of the stories from the family. And I am not kidding you. This dog's running at a high rate of speed. Wham slams his nose to the ground and his butt flies. And he starts sniffing real hard and he gives an indication. I'm like, yeah, sure, right? Change I mean, of behavior. What, like, bullshit. Oh, I, I mean, and then, I, I mean, it was like in mid-stride, nose to ground, flies into a change of behavior. So I'm like, yeah, sure. So we put him up, and we probe the whole area, um, bring out another dog, a little older and wiser dog, and I'll be darned if the dog doesn't indicate in the same place. So they were able to get the the um I don't think it was really ground training. I think it was more of the magnetic. But one of these guys had one of these, like, lawnmowers that shows you what's underground. They went and got that, and it turns out that they could see the guy was in his uniform with his buttons and his belt buckle, and that that was where his body was. In Wait, the middle they could of see that on that radar? Yes, they could, see the, the? they could see the button because of the metal button. Oh, yeah, 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 okay. Yeah, so they had they had the series of buttons, and they had his belt buckle, and they had I think it was like a knife or a sword or something that was there, and they were able to confirm that there was a body there, and I was blown away, and so the military turned around and gave them two headstones, one that they went ahead with the ceremony in the family plot, and one that they actually put where that body was, so that was years ago. And just the beginning of my just, 
I know I'm totally amazed at what these dogs can do. I mean, they blow wow. me away constantly. 140 um, year old fine. We got tracking handlers bragging about 36 hours, and <laughs> fucking dog <laughs> finds a 140 year old body. Holy shit! But but you know, as <laughs> as you go through and and you start to study these things, you know, the body decomposing in the soil there changes the soil forever. And and the crazy thing is, even the plants around where that body is are taking body nutrients up into them. So the whole area is changed. The odor profiles are changed forever when the body is buried. And so, you know, that was, I was, that was like, okay, now I got to learn a lot more about this. So that was many years ago. Um, and then I've, you know, worked several different cases since then. One of them that, that has a really a heartstring for me is uh, I mentioned the German Shepherd female that I washed from FEMA. And what I determined, and, you know, wiser now than I was back then, was that I, she couldn't be trained to do live fine FEMA because of the way the cookie cutter recipe was. That just didn't work for her. You know, at, dogs are not all the same. They, you, have to, you have to train the dog in front of you, not the dog that's in the book. And um, so it turns out this dog loved to hunt. She didn't like a reward from anybody but me. So... I turned her into a trailing dog and I turned her into a uh, um, cadaver dog. And because both of those, the reward comes from the handler and she didn't have to be really nice to anybody else. She wasn't mean, she didn't bite, but she just didn't, it wasn't a reward to receive something from a stranger. So she had a really severe accident where we almost had to amputate a leg. Um, and because she jumped out of a truck. So this dog went through rehab, about eight months of rehab. And the doctors had said, you know, she's going to, um, it'll be at least a year before you can put her back to work and all this kind of thing. And so she rehabbed really quick with water therapy and all that. And so she recertified as a cadaver dog at about nine months after her accident. And then 11 months later, I get called to do a search. Um, and in that case, I had another cadaver dog. He was, he had a paw, paw cut. They asked me to bring this dog in. There was a woman that went missing. Um, and the husband was really squirrely. And they really had suspicion of the husband. They'd already searched the house. They'd searched the perimeter. They'd searched this whole place. And um, they couldn't find anything. There was no evidence. So somehow or another, this smart aleck guy decided to play with the police. And he said, hey, he says, what have you guys, it's like a month after the woman went missing. What have you done to find my wife? So the trooper's like, well, you know, we could bring in dogs. And he's like, okay, bring in dogs. Well, um, he brings in my dog, and it was a trailing dog. She was certified in trailing. But he's like, we're going to try to run a trail to see if we can find your wife. Speaking of 72 hours old, that's crazy. You know, I'm going to do a 30-day-old trail. You might hear that in the Mythbusters, but you're not going to hear that from me. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. So I put her on her harness. And I got her on her harness, and I'm just casting her around going, I don't know why I'm here, and I'll be darned. Trained indication at the bottom of this tree area. And I'm like, what? And not at the bottom of this tree. There were these cars that were packed up next to the next to, the, next to this tree. I get this trained indication. So I look at the detective, and I'm like, that's cadaver. So he gets this guy to move these cars. They physically have to roll them out of the way. They don't have, they don't start. And there's an obvious dig area. 
And he convinces this guy to let them bring in a backhoe and they start digging. And so I'm like, I know my dog's wrong because there's no way this idiot would let them do this. Right. I mean, why would you let the police bring in a backhoe if you buried your wife there? So I'm absolutely certain that I'm going to be embarrassed and, you know, I've got them digging and my dog indicated and all this. Well, the short version of the story is they're digging along and he, the guy gets up and walks up to him and says, hey, don't dig right there. That's where my septic tank is. I just put in a new one. Oh. And they're like, okay. Mm. So they keep digging there and they hit this white object. It was a metal object. So they hit it and poke a hole in it. And it's got a hole in it and they have you bring the dog down. And the dog runs down and it's, the white object is six feet down, six feet down in the ground. The dog comes in, big indication at this hole in this object. So now I walk away going, my dog just indicated on a septic tank. I'm an idiot. So they continue to hmm. dig, and what it was, he'd gone to Lowe's, bought a chest freezer, and his wife was in the freezer. Oh. And he buried it next to the septic tank. So the dog was right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was completely blown away. I doubted her the entire time because the dude was so cool. I'm like, how would he let him be digging? He's not going to let him dig her up. And he, that's exactly what he did. So he actually got 19 years served. So he probably still has probably another 10 years left on that, on that sentence. Man, um, that's almost yeah. like the Tiger King story. You think she killed her husband? <laughs> I don't <laughs> and know. Buried him, and buried him under the fucking septic tank? Yes. Hey, well, well, you know, the crazy thing about it is, is that's a pretty darn good place to do it, you know? And they even, I mean, it was, yeah, but I would go use a used septic or, you know, obviously those um, freezers are not airtight and he had, he had it taped shut and everything, but the odor got out of the freezer and it was buried six feet down. And so she still indicated on it. So kind of crazy. But um Yeah, that that's that's nuts. Yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and then Man. um as far as the FEMA thing goes, I, I've had an amazing opportunity. Um FEMA hasn't always been uh HRD dogs. It was always live fine and then they added HRD dogs and then unfortunately we had a um Oso Washington had a major mudslide. And in that mudslide, the entire side of the mountain came down, and it buried a community. Um, wow. I believe it wound up being 44 people were deceased. Uh, it rerouted the river, the Shahomish, which I'm probably slaughtering. Somebody from Washington is going to send me hate mail. Um, but it, uh, it rerouted the river. Um, it took out a major road, a thoroughfare. There were people in their cars that were uh, caught up in it. Um, so the mountain came down. So FEMA said, well, we now have these cadaver dogs. So what they did for that to pick that deployment, what, excuse me, was they looked at the task forces, and it's not required for a task force to have cadaver dogs even to this day. Not all task forces do. But they looked to see what, what uh, task forces had dogs, and they wound up taking 20 dogs. Um, they took five from Ohio. They took from Florida, New York. Um, they took from uh, Virginia. So a lot of the task forces supplied cadaver dogs, and they shipped this out to Oso, Washington. 
Um, it was amazing. I read that in some places they estimated that the wind speed with the mountain coming down was approaching 200 miles per hour. Um, the people, yeah, the people were, the people were not intact because of the pressure and the wind speed. I mean, these people were missing limbs and they were not intact. So, um, the river rerouted. So when we got there, the entire area was just like a swamp, a muddy swamp. Um, they, they had found a lot of people and there were some miraculous stories where like, I think a lady and her child actually rode their couch out of their house and wound up in a tree. I mean, there were just amazing stories of people who did survive, but unfortunately, um, several people did not. Uh, so we worked there for 14 days when we left and they had recovered several people before we were there. I'm not saying that, you know, we went in and went, solved the problem. When we left, there was one person that had not been uh, completely identified um, because they were finding parts everywhere. And then they ultimately ident- uh, located that person when they were doing all the sort of fixing of the land to try to return it to something other than just a disaster. Um, but that was an amazing experience because this little town, Oso, um, the the people who, they they had to places the mud was 70 feet deep. So you had all these people working with um, heavy equipment, you know, those big fancy backhoes that like, that grab things and, and move trees. Cause these are, these are people that, you know, were in the lumber, lumber and, and, you know, worked in the mountains in Washington. Um, but these were also people that were locals and they were looking for their family. So the mm. workers were the people who were vested in defining these people. And we would come back from working and they had a, you know, they deal with wildfires a lot. So they had like a wildfire camp set up where we stayed in tents and they had showers and they had a, a, met, a place where we ate and stuff. And we would come back and the local kids in the schools would make posters and they would hang them up for us saying how they were so happy we were there helping and oh so proud and you know thank you for leaving your family and oh I'm getting all emotional it's terrible they put thank you notes like when they did our laundry there would be thank you notes from these kids in our in our socks okay um but you know we were able to go there and do something that FEMA hadn't been able to do in the past which is you know take cadaver dogs from a bunch of different task forces and that model actually was just repeated because FEMA did a similar thing for the fires in Oregon, where they took canines from a variety of task forces. Ohio wasn't among those this time, but they went out to um, to these areas in Oregon where, you know, complete towns have been flattened. And those towns really had zero uh, notice, you know, that these fires were coming. And... Uh, so they were able to use the cadaver dogs in that particular way. So, you know, it's a sad thing, but um, to be able to go there and, you know, contribute to the community, at least trying to take steps back to normal um, is a huge honor, you know, and the dogs really do a nice job. And we don't train for that. I mean, how could I train a dog to do a 70-foot mud hole? And when we first got there, right. these dogs were like, they were they were indicating on freaking everything that would because suck the to water train. running through yeah oh. 
<laughs> the water yeah. running through through these fields were all hot because there were body parts. The the backhoes were all hot because there were body parts, and they were you know everything was hot. So these dogs actually had to acclimate while we were there to start going. Okay, yeah, there is a mm-hmm. background odor of cadaver, but how do I locate a piece, right? And in some cases, that piece is what you needed. That's all you could get back to, um, you know, bring closure to those families. So um, oh, there's a yeah, lot of cool things that, you can do I with mean, cadaver dogs. <laughs> yeah, that's Man. a tough that's a tough dichotomy there of 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 joy of helping and then the the despair of of the fact that. You know, it's not saving anybody. Obviously, it's it's just helping maybe some families and things. That's that's a whole different, you know, mindset you have to deal with, and you can you can hear the emotion in your voice. So you um, have another case, though. Do you? Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're just dying to hear about that one, aren't you? <laughs> well, yeah. You, you have a case where you weren't really yeah. helping anybody, right? Like you weren't providing no. closure for the family. You weren't doing anything else because they already knew they were dead. So, yeah. Um, talk about that one a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, so we got we got a call that, um, and it was it was Social Security, IRS. The the they they were like, hey, um, we want you to check a uh, storage unit, in like it was in Lexington. We want you to stack, check a storage unit. So the storage unit is rented by this gentleman, and he's had it for twenty five years, and uh, the money for his for the storage unit comes directly out of his, his account. So the bills are being paid. Um, and, but we don't know where this guy is and his daughter and him are supposed to, you know, they're supposed to be living in Texas and with his daughter. And we don't have any records that this guy has seen a doctor. We don't have any record of this guy existing. So what we think is happening is that daddy died and that, um, the daughter's still getting the social security check. So, uh, I went down and, you know, so they, they knew what, um, storage unit was the one that, that could have been the hot unit, to be honest. They just wanted access to this unit. Um, so they asked to run the dogs by, well, I don't want to know that. I just want to run my dogs and run it blindly. So there's zero opportunity for me to influence them. So we ran the storage unit. It wasn't particularly huge. It had like three lanes, probably had, mm, I don't know, maybe 60 different little storage rooms on it. And we went around the corner, immediate head snap, you know, all the classic, okay, body language change. And um, with the cadaver dogs, or at least when I work mine, I tend to try to, if I'm not working on lead, I try to stay very far away to let them work independently. That's kind of what we need our FEMA dogs to do. So, booms, goes to this this storage unit, hits the door, bark, 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 you know. So, okay. so Clearly, clearly a I, dead body. <laughs> clearly a dead body. Mm-hmm. And it just so happens, coincidentally, it's the same number that this guy's been renting. So, they say. open up this. No, yeah, it worked out good. <laughs> I didn't find somebody else's random body. Which is always one of my fears that I'm just going to find a dead body and I don't know what to do with it now. You know, I'm not looking for you. Um, so, they opened it up. <laughs> And they found his old car in there, and they found him wrapped in a lot of cra- of, uh, of plastic um, with a bunch of kitty litter. So that's why there wasn't, you know, apparently a 
big stink about it, you know, with the storage in it. Or maybe there was and nobody cared. I don't know. Because he'd been there for a while. So they turn around and they go to Texas to arrest this woman. And they knock on the door and the woman comes out and talks to them. And then they're like, oh, by the way, we'd really like to meet, see your mom. And, you know, mom's been gone. She went somewhere. She's visiting or whatever. Well, the short version of the story is mom was under the front porch. She was doing the same thing with mom. She just hadn't put her in a storage unit. So, what? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I believe that woman is, uh, you know, she was living off of Social Security, and now I think she's getting um, other federal support, uh, you know, so she doesn't have to pay her bills. But, yeah, so that one was really kind of, I, I don't know that I you should refer to it as fun. Um, and I don't believe there was any, um, nobody thought that there was an intentional, like, she killed daddy or anything. There was no evidence to that. But when he passed away, she wanted to keep his check coming. And then when mom passed away, why not do both, you know? So. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Who knew? So, like, when you started the story old. out, I was like, what the hell does the IRS do with a dead dog, with, you know, with a cadaver dog for? Because I've heard of currency dogs and all the other stuff that those guys do, the Secret Service and the IRS. But, you know, in fact, we had our Secret Service handle wrong. Uh, Marshall, but I mean, I was yeah. like, what the fuck? And then I was like, oh, I guess that makes a lot of sense. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's crazy because there's no death record. There's no, like, I mean, theoretically, they're still filing taxes. They're still voting. Yeah. LOL. Um, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of which, mm-hmm. all of our new uh, voting stuff came out on HR, or WDR.com. But yeah. Um, so yeah, man, that was... Uh, <laughs> I can't believe people. And you know, that's not an uncommon story. Like that happens quite a bit. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, there's always shows about people that are like, Oh, you know, nobody's seen the parent or the grandparent or whoever in six, eight, ten, three, five years, however long. And you know, they're like the guy that runs Scientology, like his wife, ain't nobody seen her in like eight years. But, um, well, so, I, the secret number is a hundred, I think. So if you get to a hundred and no one's seen you, they'll actually start to investigate. Yeah, well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, man, this has been awesome. I'm super glad we got to do this. Um, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, so do you have like a, like an Instagram or any social media where you post anything that people can kind of catch up with you guys doing whatever you're doing or yay, nay? Oh, wow. that's a, that's a, We do, and they're all private. What do you think of that? Yeah, um, well, that didn't surprise me. So, I mean, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. They yeah yeah Ohio Task Force One has a Facebook page, there you um, go. which and anytime the the FEMA task force is deployed or has any activities, that's a that's a good thing that we you know good place to look for us. Um, and then you know my my I have a state team which is called Kentucky Search Dog Association, and the Kentucky Search Dog Association has a Facebook page, and we'll post just mostly um, you know did you know this about health or whatever kind of stuff. Um, with dogs, uh, you know, we obviously don't post much about searches, um, as a task force, they can say, oh, we're going to go do this, but we don't get into the details, you know, just for respect of everyone who's involved in it. Yeah. Well, uh, perfect. So hit them up there. Eric, what do you got? Um, Van S canine, um, on Instagram, that's mostly the police dog stuff. Van S Canine Academy is a mixture of police and um, working dog radio stuff and pet stuff. Mostly pet, though. On Facebook, you uh, have a kennel full of green dogs. Uh, some will be available soon. Some are not. So 
Um, yeah. How about you? Uh, Ted underscore Summers on the Instagrams. Um, and then Torchlight Canine, letter K number nine on Instagram. And of course, HRD Police Canine um, on Instagram and Facebook. And the podcast is, of course, WDR uh, Radio on Instagram. Or, or it's under, w, working underscore dog underscore radio on Instagram. And then it's just working dog radio on uh, Facebook. But uh, we also have the Patreon account. I've got a video I'm finishing up. I finished a dog for a friend that was started as a direct reward um, explosive dog. And um, she's not going to actually be finding real explosives, but I put her on actual odor. Um, and I have converted her to an indirect reward. And I documented that process over the last... 12 or 15 weeks or so um and she is rocking now she damn near knocked me over today so um i'm gonna try and edit that video this weekend and get it up but um patreon.com look for us under working dog radio uh we'll have a bunch of stuff there we just released a bunch of um (laughs) election inspired um canine stuff uh that went up today yeah, that's on the website also, WDR.com, or WorkingDogRadio.com. Um, election-inspired T-shirts and hoodies and stuff like that um, so that we can... And there's we're, This is not a political podcast, so it's not... <laughs> it's not one side or the other. So, um, <laughs> I, yeah, there are some good ones. We have uh, we have a couple of good ones. The voting booth one, um, the man behind the curtain one is my favorite. That's an Eric idea, too. So, um, yeah, hit him up. Awesome. Melissa, this was great. I'm so glad we got to work this out. I was really bummed last time, and I know you're super busy. I really appreciate you taking time out to uh, come on and and share some amazing stuff with us. (laughs) Thank you very much. I appreciate the invitation. Yes, excellent. Uh, Excellent. We'll talk to everybody soon. See you. All right. Thank you. Our oldest sponsor, our first sponsor, and our good friend, and a great dude all around, Arno at ALM Canine Equipment. Uh, his suits and his canine tugs and bite sleeves are some of the best in the industry. His, dude, I have a whole array of different uh, hidden sleeves from him of all various levels of dogs. Uh, he has a discount code for us, which is amazing, WD Radio for 10% off your first order. ALMK9Equipment.com. Give, give him a shout, man. Arno is a good guy with great quality equipment. ALMK9Equipment.com. One of the original three... Sponsors that have been with us from the beginning is Tripwire Operations Group, LLC. They're an internationally recognized leading provider of products, services, and training for federal, state, local, and law enforcement agencies and military units. They are ATF licensed for explosive material manufacturer, importer, exporter, and dealer with a wide range of explosive products to offer, including custom kits. These kits are great for detection canine imprinting, and they have three different kits to choose from. These three kits combined create the complete picture for the explosive threats of canines. Be sure to check them out, tripwireops.org. The music in this episode is used with permission by Brother Deeg. Be sure to check him out at Brother Deeg, that's spelled D-E-G-E dot net. Be sure to check him out there or on iTunes, Amazon, CD Baby, or anywhere you stream media. This episode has been edited and co-produced by Alicia Brandt. Visit our other sites at patreon.com, look for Working Dog Radio, hrdpolicecanine.com, and look for the nearest seminar near you. Got your reasons, and I got my wants. Still got that feeling, but I'm too old to die young now. Too-
Working Dog Radio was graciously granted permission to use this music by Brother Deeg. Be sure to check him out at brotherdeeg.blogspot.com. That's spelled brother, D-E-G-E, dot blogspot.com. Be sure to buy him a beer at Amazon, iTunes, or CD Baby, or anywhere you stream your music. Working Dog Radio was edited and co-produced by Alicia Brandt.